Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We're here Hi. once again. Uh, what? Oh, did I throw you? I'm sorry, I thought... Usually we do a thing where uh, you say my name and then I say, you know, that's me. We do, we like have that. never, literally never done that. Never. That, I have never once prompted you to say, that's me. <laughs> well, sorry for throwing off your flow. Sir. In fact, I would like to hear, I would like to never, never be aware of your presence unless <laughs> absolutely directly, I'm from now on, it'll be, what do you think about that, Connor? And then you yeah. pitch in, and yeah, yeah. Just when you finish talking, you know, after one of your intractable thirty-minute uh, tangents, then you just say, "Just say, and idiot." What do you yes. think? And then yes. I'll know it's my turn. Okay, that's right. Yeah. That'll do. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> go on. Oh. God. All right. We're here talking about this week's UFC card going down at the Apex facility in Las Vegas, Nevada. Headlined by a featherweight bout, Calvin Cater versus Arnold Allen. And, um, man, like... Boy, is it headlined by that. Boy, yeah, they really... Everything... You know, I know it's a post-pay-per-view card and... That's when the UFC is like, no, we spent our nickel last week. We got to be thrifty this week. Mm-hmm. But man, this really is like thrift, thrift heavy card. Yeah. Speaking of nickels, I couldn't give a wooden one about this undercard. <laughs> huh? Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, I mean, Cater Allen is a phenomenal matchup. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, this has been the case for a lot of these uh, undercards in the back half of, um, a lot of these fight night cards in the back half of 2022 is that we've had some really stellar main events and then just very little to write home about. Yeah, it's, back it's, it up. it's impressive that they couldn't even find, like, a ranked flyweight fight yeah. or a ranked woman's strawweight bout or a ranked woman's bantamweight bout to go on this card. Yeah, like, are there any other ranked fighters at all? There are none. Wow. Oh, wait, no, I think Dustin Jacoby snuck into the bottom of the yeah, heavyweight rankings recently. So there is one ranked fighter otherwise on this card. Yep. Like, they... They have flyweights on here. They have like the the only two unranked flyweights in the UFC right now. Yep. And just to put a point on it, Dustin Jacoby is number thirteen. Yeah. At light heavyweight. So there's your second highest, your third highest ranked fighter. They have the two heavyweight fights on this card, and somehow no ranked heavyweight fighters. I know. That's it's impressive. Now this is one where you know, upon closer inspection, there are some. Well-made fights, I think, especially like down towards the bottom of the undercard. In fact, uh-huh. there are a couple fights that I think they'll probably have good action. I'm kind yeah. of interested in the dynamic, uh, but there is precious little name value or relevance to speak of outside there, of again a stellar main event. There are a lot of fights on here too that are actually going to be functionally competed at a very low level. Yes, you know, like 
Josh Fremd, Treshawn Gore is not a poorly booked fight. It is the right kind of fight for both men right now. Mm-hmm. It's just it might not headline an LFA card. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know. I, I was going to say it wouldn't headline an LFA card. Yeah. Not that good. Yeah, it's just like these are, there are a lot of fights on here with fighters who have a lot of, a lot to prove and a lot of work to do. And we're, you, you know, we expect, oh, if this goes out of the one area that they're comfortable, it's going to look pretty low level. Mm-hmm. Phil Hall's Roman Delizze, and that's an action fight if I ever saw one. Well, I mean, the way Phil Haas fights, he 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 will make it action filled. He might also lose in the middle of that action, but he might make. I will see. Roman Delidze has a he's made a compact with dark powers. He uh, he has a deleterious effect on people. Yes, he does. Yeah, unlike unlike Aljamain Sterling's, uh, uh, unlike Aljamain Sterling's blasphemous pact with forces you know beyond our ken. <laughs> Roman Delidze, his 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 uh, powers don't like cause the opponents to, for their their cartilage to all just melt, uh, or yeah. whatever, or their their brain to start misfiring. It just yeah. makes the fights all bad. Yeah, <laughs> it just makes the fights terribly tedious. So yeah, it's uh, it's not a great card. No, it's really to not. Say the least. It has a great main event. It has a co-main event that is competitive and should be fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, then it has a fight between with a guy who has. I'm shocked he's still in in the division. I'm shocked he's still in the UFC, facing a guy who has a inc- incredibly rudimentary game. Yeah. So let's dive in and talk about the main event because, uh-huh. at the very least, we're gonna you know that that's where we're gonna spend all our time anyway. Oh yeah, it's me. I go first on these. Yeah, that's that's how it works. You, you, you. I mean, you jumped right in. Where, where, where was that enthusiasm that you had launched at the beginning? Okay, so so cue cue me up again. Cue me up again. Okay. So let's go ahead and uh, talk about the main event because that's where we're going to spend all our time anyway. That's right, Zane. (laughs) Well. So yeah, it's uh, it's Calvin Cater. Calvin Cater. Like Gary Shandling over here. <laughs> I wish I wish I was Gary Shandling. No, no, no. You are hey now Hank Kingsley. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like I said, it's a phenomenal, as we agreed, a phenomenal yeah. main event, a phenomenal fight in any position. Mm-hmm. Calvin Cater is at this point probably the action fighter in the UFC. Um, the guy you just, I mean, how many, how many fight night made events have they stuck cater in at this point where they're just like, Oh, this is going to be a banger at the end of the card. Yeah. Um, he's reliable. I mean, he is very reliable. He's possibly the most durable fighter in the entire promotion. Like I was once again stunned. I realized only after looking at it, uh, while researching for this, that it was like the second or third time I've had this revelation. And just forgot because it makes no sense. He wasn't knocked down once in the fight with Max Holloway. Yeah. How is that possible? He no. was almost killed on like five distinct occasions. Uh, and the rest of the time just getting tortured and beaten up and lit up with everything under the sun. And somehow he didn't actually record a single knockdown. He hasn't been knocked down once in the UFC. Um. Calvin Cater is just a disgustingly tough fighter and a very powerful puncher 
And these are the two physical attributes which tend to, you know, determine whether he wins or loses a fight. And he usually wins because he knows to count on both of these things. And um, Arnold Allen, on the other hand, is a much a much harder entity to nail down. Mm-hmm. Like he's obviously very good. Yep. He's obviously very flexible strategically. I mean, he can mold himself to a, to a variety of different uh, opponent styles and a variety of different game plans. Um, and kind of for that reason, I mean, and then also like almost all of his fights, except for literally the most recent one. And that's about it are pretty tough and competitive. Yeah. Even, even ones where it's like Arnold Allen is a, a shoe in to win this, they still tend to be pretty scrappy. Yeah. He he's kind of he I think it's a lot of what we've seen out of him is a, a rare fighter who really he has made technical changes over his career mm-hmm. and they have changed the way he fights over his career mm-hmm. very distinctly. Where and and yet at the same time they haven't changed the they haven't really changed the way that his fights are competitive over that time. Yeah. Because it used to be that he would just kind of go out there and scrap. He'd get in people's faces. He'd look for takedowns. He'd throw combinations and just kind of be busy. Fight a lot like that Dan Hooker fight, frankly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, 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 it uh, until that Dan Hooker fight didn't have a lot of power. Uh, at least in those early fights, and would just have to absolutely gut his way through the later rounds as the fight wore on. Mm-hmm. And as time has gone on, and he has become a sharper boxer, a more tactical, technically-minded fighter, mm-hmm. he has started to favor a much more outfighting back foot, pick your spots, yeah. find your counters, turn corners, stay out of trouble kind of way that it allows him to land the better shots on his opponent, but he's rarely pushing a brutal pace. Right. So that, once again, the fights are close. Like, he, you know, nobody, nobody argues that he beat Sadiq Yusuf. He definitely did. Mm-hmm. But he also got outstruck two to one by Sadiq Yusuf while beating Sadiq Yusuf. Yeah, it's just you know, and it, then he comes out and surprises us all by just getting land- to an absolute slugfest with Dan Hooker from moment one. Yeah, he landed fifty forty nine significant strikes in uh, one or two minutes and thirty seconds <laughs> against Dan Hooker. And I'm I'm willing to say that eighty percent of those were full on power punches. Yeah. Just hooks, just swinging hooks and uppercuts in the pocket. He landed fifty-eight percent of them. Yeah, um, and got knocked down. Yeah, and so he popped one... right back up and didn't change a thing about what he was doing. Not officially, but yes. Uh, well, you know. Yeah. Okay. So official. maybe, maybe, maybe then, and I probably already had this conversation with myself in the past, and maybe Calvin Cater did get, you know, in boxing terms, knocked down by Max Holloway. Yeah. Because, like, you know, technically, I suppose stumbling and having the fence keep you up should be considered a knockdown. Yeah. Arnold yeah. Allen touched a hand and a knee to the ground, though. He was mm-hmm. like, that's a knockdown. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how the UFC's task people record these things. It has to be, it, it, it has to be like an effective momentum changer, essentially, in 
it for the UFC stats to credit it, where like a person is knocked down and they stay down. There's follow up strikes. It changes the momentum of the fight in a meaningful way. It can't just be oh somebody got hit and they fell over and got back up. It's it's stupid, but. And yet I'm sure there would be other flash knockdowns that have been recorded. I'm sure there are, too. So I, I don't know. It yeah. seems, uh, it seems uh, inconsistent. It does. So anyway, um, yeah, Arnold Allen, very flexible, really leaned into the mobile outfighting style, as you said, um, but clearly is still capable of doing other things. Yep. And I think probably a little sharper and more powerful at those other things, you know. Yeah, and it was uh, funny uh, to see him do that because I was saying just while we were previewing that fight, I was yeah. like, I think Arnold Allen's probably more of a puncher than we tend to see. Yeah. I think he's a really solid athlete, and he's just kind of drew dobered himself in a lot of these fights. Or mm-hmm. he's, he's way more interested in using his speed and his mobility than he is digging in and cracking people. But clearly... Whatever you think of Dan Hooker's uh, timing with his return to 145 and what the effects of that may have been, clearly it was a power-punching performance from Arnold Allen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, I, I, I've had some trouble with this one because it's really difficult to pick against Calvin Cater. Yeah. Uh, against anyone except the best of the best. Because, yeah, like, how many fights of his have started off really dicey and then there's just this inexorability to calvin cater's fighting style where uh usually he will end up just sort of plodding after his opponent and creating exchanges and is perfectly willing to get hit if it means he gets to hit he gets to land shots in return Mm -hmm. and because of those aforementioned physical attributes of his that's usually effective uh i still think arnold allen does have some distinct advantages here I think he's way faster than Calvin Cater for one. Um, like Calvin Cater is as plodding as Sadiq Yusuf. Mm-hmm. Longer reach, but I think he is considerably less explosive than Sadiq Yusuf. Less just um, less hand speed, really. Yeah. Um, and I think he's quite hittable to this day. I mean, we saw some yeah. good signs of his defense in recent fights, but he's always pretty open to counters. Even when um, he does tend to like settle into a fight and kind of relax, which really works for him because like Calvin Cater has a great jab, but only about 30% of the time because yeah. most of the time he's using his jab these days, he's like over committing to it as if it were any other power punch. He steps in hard onto like a flat foot fully extends he wants to wreck you with the jab, and this makes it very possible to outmaneuver and counter him. As he kind of gets a little tired and relaxes a bit, then it starts to function more the way a jab should. It's not fully committed. It comes, you know, either just before the step, just after the step, mid-step. It allows him to adjust his position and follow up with other strikes, which he can then load up on more safely. Um, but for a lot of the fight, he tends to be pretty cumbersome. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm kind of thinking, like, however it shapes up, I expect Arnold Allen to have a pretty good start. Yeah. I don't think Calvin Cater is, though he ends up doing it in most fights, I don't think he's a very good pressure fighter mechanically. 
He he doesn't cut off the cage particularly well. He doesn't have a lot of reliable, um, you know, sort of uh, anti-lateral movement weapons. He's not typically a huge round kicker. Um, he definitely is a body puncher, but he doesn't tend to use them to cut people off like that. It's more like you know, it happens when the exchange has already started in the pocket. Um, and yeah, I think Allen is going to be able to use his mobility and his hand speed to interrupt Cater, beat him to the punch, and just reset, reset, reset the whole time. And I suppose the question is, is he going to go the way of Dan Ige, who had a lot of success doing much the same things, keeping Cater uh, you know, in sort of lackadaisical pursuit, drawing him on, beating him to the punch, or countering him and then resetting. For Ige, the fact that Cater was also looking for body shots, the fact that Cater just wouldn't go away, Ige gassed. Yeah, and then Cater took over down the stretch. So to me, the big question of whether Allen can win enough of this fight, uh, enough of the early rounds to get a decision here, is uh, how long can he keep that up? And I suspect he can. I mean, I think the other thing with Allen that it, you can't forget, he I think he really likes fighting. <laughs> I think he's yeah really comfortable and relaxed even in absolutely insane exchanges. Um, and I don't think that was the case with the version of Danny gang that fought Calvin Cater. I think he was, was kind of his, one of his first attempts to fight off the back foot. Wasn't comfortable with the idea of just being pressured and facing an increasingly desperate pressure fighter. The longer the fight went on, I think uh -huh. he stressed and it caused him to tire out. I'm kind of leaning I mean, I've already picked him, so I'm going to stick with it one way or the other. You may make me regret the pick, but I am actually kind of leaning Arnold Allen. And and that's who I'm going to pick here. No, it's a, it's a good pick. I mean, I think this is... The, the big thing to me is really just pace and time. And, like, what kind of fight... Like, can't... I mean, you know... It, can Arnold Allen effectively, because we're talking about how, like, he was a fighter who used to have close fights when he would just go out and brawl with people and then has had close fights later, or not even, you know, they're not even so close as in, like, oh, I don't know if Allen won that or not, but they're just, they're not, uh, I think you know. they might just always have close fights. I mean, I think, yeah. I think a part of the, of the dynamic there in all of his matchups is that Allen steps up his performance to the level of difficulty he's presented. Yeah. And uh, so fights just sort of creep up on him, and then he realizes he's got to fight back. Uh, I think he just lets that happen. I, this yeah. is going to get crazy at some point, basically. Cause, and, and that's the kind of thing where, like, you know, against, uh, obviously, he he slammed a door on Gilbert Melendez, but it's severely faded Gilbert Melendez in 2019. Uh, which man, that fight feels like it was longer ago than that. That fight feels yeah. like it was like eight years ago. Yeah. Um, but that is a quite like that. That's a problem against Cater because this is Cater is fully there to be taken advantage of. If you're if you can be slicker than Calvin Cater, mm -hmm. as Max Holloway showed, mm -hmm. like you can just reset and do the same things over and over again. And you're going to land better. Mm -hmm. And between them, Allen is the much, he, he is the much more accurate puncher. Yeah. 
And he, uh, you agree, he's notably faster. Yeah, I, I think so. I it didn't stand out to me as much, but um, I, I mean, he's faster for, on his feet, certainly. Whether or not he's faster with his hands, I'm not sure. But he definitely. I mean, Cater. Even if Cater could be faster with his feet, he slows himself down. He, yeah. Well, Cater yeah. is the anti Allen. Like he, yeah. he loves nothing more than to dig in his toes and put everything into punches. So I yeah. think he's he's capable of matching uh, Allen's hand speed, just as Allen is capable of bringing his speed down as he did against Dan Hooker. But yeah, stylistically, Allen tends to favor speed yeah. in his combinations in a way that Cater doesn't. Yeah, you don't ever really see Cater like oh, I'm going to slide out of the pocket and turn a corner away and, like, try to make a, a quick pivot to land a shot. Yeah. It's always just, like... He doesn't tend to just flick punches out there. Yeah. If he's backing up, he's hoping that you come after him with something heavy so that he can step right forward into it and land something heavy of his own. You know, he wants that Jeremy Stevens knockout again, where he's... If, if you're going to throw a bomb at him, he's going to meet you with another bomb. Uh, Allen is much more, you know, as we saw with the Sadiq Yusuf fight, if you're throwing bombs at him, he's hoping he's on that. Uh, he's a lot closer to um, Nathaniel Wood in that kind of aspect. Yes, that's a that's a very strong comparison where you see Wood in like a fight and you're like, oh, my God, Wood is like he's right there in, you know, in the middle of these this combination that his opponent is throwing. And you think he's going to be in danger, but he's actually really good at just kind of taking himself offline just enough to miss the majority of the strikes his opponents throwing and then land some really tight stuff on his own on the return. And Wood and Allen both have in common the fact that they, their styles present as being like slick Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, slick and speedy, but both of them absolutely love to fight. They are like, you know, they, they they take shots and it doesn't really change anything about their approach. They're they're true boxer punchers, basically. Like these are these are these are technical, strategic fighters who, when given the opportunity to exchange, yeah, um, will either like stick to their discipline perfectly, it doesn't it doesn't affect them, or will be like, Oh yeah, <laughs> let's trade a few shots. That yeah, be good or bad, um, against a guy like Calvin Cater. Quite possibly yeah. bad. I do think if 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 uh, Allen goes out here like he did against Hooker, I am less sure that he can win that fight. Yeah, I think he would probably gas himself, and Cater yeah. has been through that way too many times at this Cater, point. Cater would be able to survive it, and then we have seen, yeah. you know, even against somebody like a, a, a puncher like Josh Emmett, we still see Cater very capable yeah. of turning up the volumes the volume in late rounds and yeah. being there and Getting being ready. Yeah. Ton of damage on him early and look what happened to him. Yeah. So it is a question though, because I do, you know, like I say, it, it's very, it's the fight is right there for Alan to, if he just can be slick and pivot and stay away and stay slick, you know, stay off a straight line with cater. Mm-hmm. He can probably do a lot of the same things over and over again. Mm-hmm. We we have seen somebody else 
take Cater's game away from him. We've seen Max Holloway do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, early on, too, we've seen, like, Zabit Magomacharapov do it mm-hmm. and Hanato Moikano do it when they I fought. still, I've been saying this for a while. I know it turned around on him, but I think that Dan Ige fight yeah. is a blueprint for an approach that really could work here against Cater. I mean, if you look at the numbers, that is Calvin Cater's lowest output yeah. by a pretty good margin, he, he, you know, compared to some other fights that he lost even. Yeah. Um, he he only landed 105 shots of 260 odd attempts over five rounds. That's yeah. pretty low for Calvin Cater. I think that's a that's a pace that if Allen could maintain it and as long as he can stay fresh and keep moving, you're going to get a lot of close rounds at the very least. Yeah, yeah I mean, very close rounds. The you know the worry is that Allen is over his career generally much lower output. Yeah, much lower. He had that great showing against Gilbert Melendez. He had that absolute war with Dan Hooker. And then otherwise, you know, you're looking at fights against Sadiq Youssef and Nick Lentz and Jordan Rinaldi. That Rinaldi fight especially was ugly. Yeah. Where he's just kind of picking away and not really making the fight that, you know, definitive or special he's doing enough to win mm-hmm. but you're kind of like oh, okay well maybe if somebody else were in here they were a little bit more of a dedicated puncher than these people are or in yusuf's case a little more dexterous a little you know a little harder nosed mm-hmm. um and like even the use in the yusuf fight like like i say yusuf doubled up on him for strikes landed um they could take these rounds away from you. And Cater can definitely be that guy. <sighs> yeah. I mean, I think another worrying thing for Alan, this, I wouldn't be surprised to see him do this. I think it would be a great idea. But um, statistically, over the course of his career, he's not a big low kicker. And I think that's um, a really viable target if you're trying to outmaneuver Cater. And I mean... You just can't hurt his body. <laughs> it's yeah. Apparently impossible. You can't hurt him upstairs. Maybe the idea is to cripple him, and he's not particularly good at defending low kicks, and he's very heavy on his front foot. Um, maybe that's a thing Alan sees. It seems like, and he's the kind of fighter who will just add a tool if it seems like it's the right way. Yeah, that's the thing, is that he, he's been fighting clever enough lately that I it, it's hard not to credit, like, okay, you are going to get a very solvable problem. Yeah. Can you solve it? But it's it's just it still feels like a big projection of like you you haven't seen Arnold Allen win a fight like that against a guy like Calvin Cater. No, yeah. So Yeah. I I'm gonna I'm gonna go with you and pick Allen. I have Ooh. been willing to I have been willing to overlook him too many times in the past. Right. And I get the feeling that he is in a moment right now. And that Emmett fight doesn't portend well for this either. Right. Because that's a fight where Cater had the right ideas. He he was putting out the right, you know, the volume. He was making it his fight, but he couldn't actually put enough impact on Emmett 
to make up for the strikes that the bigger the big strikes that Emmett was landing. And even if I felt like Cater should have won that, it felt like there was a there was an, a, a lack of willingness to make an extra gear happen against a much more fundamentally basic puncher than Allen. Yeah. And Allen may not hit as hard, but if he has more craft to his game than Emmett, it's hard not to think, well, then he can he can have more moments to shine if Allen's going to be, or if Cater's uh, going to be giving him a bunch of the same exchanges over and over. Mm-hmm. So we'll see though, man. It's gonna yeah. Get, you get to round three. And yeah. I, I do think Allen is a very well conditioned, very calm fighter. Yeah. But, but if he, if he just goes question, out, goes ham. Yeah. He might gas and yeah. this doesn't happen to Cater. Cater's just there to, to keep going for the kill. At, at insane paces, even into the fifth round. Yeah. Even when he's taking a ton of body shots, you know, like he just, he doesn't break. Yep. So we'll see. It's, it's a huge test for Allen. It is. It's a great fight. I'll ride with you on Allen on this, but I, I love the matchup. Yeah. Allen opened at plus 150, jumped up to plus 170, currently down at minus 121. Wow. And. Cater opened at minus 175, dropped to minus 200, and is currently up at minus 101. So odds are just wow. about dead even. I actually expected Allen to be a moderate underdog here. No. I think there's, there's, there's people have all the reason in the world to just trust Calvin Cater to win another action-packed fight night main event. He, yeah, I think he, he's he's just he's lost too many times at a high in high-profile bouts. I think for the gamblers are probably a bit nervous, you know. Yeah. They saw him as a they saw him as open as a reasonable favorite, and they thought, well, he just lost to Josh, Josh Emmett. He's lost to Max Holloway. He's lost as a beat. He's lost to Moicano. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, why why would I trust him that wide against Arnold Allen, who's mm-hmm. never lost? But if yeah, Allen comes out just running around and lands five or more low kicks in round one. I think that's a very good sign for him. Yeah. And I think, I do think that the dynamics of this fight, Cater should be very live. And he, they, you know, he may even deserve to be a favorite because he has put out the kind of volume he has shown up time and again in the kind of fights that, yeah, yeah like he has a fight. He has a win like Giga Chikadze, which is, you know. I think he does deserve to be a favorite. Even yeah. Even Allen. It's like Calvin Cater is a more than proven quantity. Yeah. And Allen true. still... This this feels like a test for Allen in a way that it doesn't for Cater because he's yeah. been here, he's been in wild fights, uh, the, and he's come back from some of the what should be the most demoralizing loss I've ever seen, and looks just the same as ever. So yeah, right now the best win on Arnold Allen's career is probably Sadiq Yusuf. If we're being a hundred percent real about where Dan Hooker is in his career yeah. at the time he fought Arnold Allen, and where Gilbert Melendez was in his career at the time he fought Arnold Allen. Yeah. Sadiq Yusuf is the best win of his career. Yeah. Or maybe Mads Burnell is in that conversation. He's yeah. continued looking good. And that was a breakout yeah. fight for him. And Allen dealt with it and came back to win. So And you have to and if you're looking at the Yusuf fight and you're looking at like, okay, here's a kind of predictable heavy handed power puncher who pressures more than he's good at pressuring. Yeah. Allen did great. He dropped Yusuf. 
he won that fight. He needed to drop him to win, though. He did need to drop him to win, though, and he got outstruck two to one. Yeah. So without the, without the knockdowns, he yeah. loses that fight. Yeah. So it's, we'll see. I think yeah. we're, ta- we're taking. I. It feels like taking a gamble to pick Allen. So I, again, I think I. It's just I've I, I have turned down that gamble too many times and right, been right. burned by it now. So I'm just finally. I'm. It's like you know what? No, I'm willing to. I'm willing to roll with it. That's. It feels like a reasonable gamble to take at this point. Yeah. I guess all I'm saying is don't take an actual gamble at those odds. Because yeah. to me, yeah. it feels like Cater should be the favorite. All right. That brings us to a welterweight bout. Max Griffin, Tim Means. And uh, this also is kind of a uh, wild, close fight. Yes. And I'm not sure how it's going to go. Because... Tim Means is he, the wheels should not be on Tim Means anymore. <laughs> and I I love Tim Means and I love watching him fight. I love watching him win. I love his crafty old guy veteranness. Yeah. He and he has been a crafty old guy veteran since he was like 25. <laughs> He's so he he like him being 38 and still being that guy is a lot of fun to see. And like going on that three fight win streak over star Poli, Perry and Dalby. Yeah. Like that's really cool. Yeah. You know, a real y'all must've forgot moment for Tim. Exactly. The guy has just been exactly this good for 15 years. And the game Part of it is the game hasn't changed either for him because it's all about using volume to create counters. And that's such a great MMA striking style that does not exist enough in this sport. Yeah. That it has a ton of functionality. And it has a lot of functionality against somebody like Max Griffin, too, who has gone through different phases as a striker and has become a sharper striker. He used to be this very sort of traditional martial arts. I've adapted a uh, hundred hours of Wing Chun to <laughs> being, uh, being a hoss who hits people really hard. Um, that used to be sort of the early Max Griffin. And he adapted that into sort of a just go forward, be tough and brawl Max Griffin, who hit people harder than they were comfortable with and could stop people from wanting to trade with him just by being so absurdly tough and being so scrappy. And then we saw him come out against, um, in his last fight, against uh, Neil Magny, and we saw Max Griffin who like pulled Neil Magny onto counter shots and made that fight really, really shockingly tough for Neil Magny mm-hmm. because he was just on his back foot being elusive and making Magny come to him and then cracking Magny for Magny's poor, poor pressure footwork yeah. and Magny's desire to clinch making Magni take away his own reach advantage. Yep. And it made for a really crafty, scrappy fight. Like, it was always going to be a really tough fight for 
um, for Griffin to win, and he didn't win it, but it was really close and a really great look for Griffin and something that if he did that to Tim Means could spell trouble for Tim Means. Yeah. Because Means will put out a lot of volume with the intention that you are going to then sit down and trade with him. That is, that is the Tim Means idea is like, here's a jab, here's a kick Here's a one-two. Aren't you tired of dealing with me? You're going to step in and you're going to try to swing hard back at me. And when you do that, there will be a really hard left hand waiting for you. And if you make Tim Means chase you and get, you know, to, to extend his combinations and extend his pressure, he'll do some of the same things Neil Magny will do. He'll He will overreach for the clinch. He will get his himself squared up and offline and he will walk himself onto shots. And you know, we've seen we've seen him get hurt more and more lately doing that. Yeah. Uh like I say the, there's the wheels shouldn't be on Tim Means anymore. And mm-hmm. you know that Holland fight, like you're seeing him have moments of success and then he just gets crushed by a counter hook in tight and dropped hard. Mm-hmm. The the D-Rod fight, a lot of the same thing. You're seeing him have a lot of success and just get cracked by a, a huge shot mm-hmm. and Basically hurt. Basically all of his recent losses, like D-Rod, Nico Price. Yeah. You know, n- none of these guys were, like, necessarily beating him yeah. at the time that they beat him. Yeah. Um, and there's the wrestling too. Yeah, and then there's the wrestling. There's the fact that Max Griffin at one point shot more than like any other welterweight out there. He hasn't he, done it in a while, but yeah, he, he hasn't done it in a while. As like I say, his game has been adapting and changing a lot, and that kind of make, that makes this a weird fight to predict. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, yeah, I don't know what game Griffin is going to bring to means. And there are versions of Tim Means that can handle versions of Max Griffin. And there are versions of Max Griffin that can be a huge challenge to Tim Means. Yeah. And I think right now I'm going to trust where Max Griffin is at. And that Tim Means cannot go through the kind of fight that Max Griffin wants to have anymore without getting hurt. But... You know, he did just go through Mike Perry and Nicholas Dalby and Loriana Staropoli, and all three of these dudes are, like, out to scrap. Yeah. And... All younger and more athletic and... Yeah. Tim and, Means is... Yeah, he's... he's it's just because Tim Means is really good. <laughs> yeah. He's an incredibly technical fighter, and... Yeah. Um, and he makes a gambit that... It, he makes a technical gambit, exactly. which is... That he can take what your power to create his volume, and in in doing that, will open up the kind of opportunities yes. he needs to totally tip the fight in his favor. He's he's technical, but he's also like a testing. He doesn't. Yeah. Um. He's not the kind of fighter who will just let you fall on your sword. He's gonna yeah. like grab your sword and point the tip at your throat like yeah. he's gonna step in there and try to yank it out of your belt and stab you with your own sword. Yeah. Uh, and 
that's um yeah you know i mean it, it has led to fights where tim means should have huge advantages it's led to them being closer than they should be yeah. because yeah. he makes himself a target there's no way you would ever expect sergio marais to pick up a split decision yeah like, yeah this guy is a mess as a kickboxer and he's also old like he's a good athlete but he's old yeah. and like he's not a good enough wrestler to make his jiu-jitsu game work how is he going to beat tim means and the answer was well he probably shouldn't have he probably should have lost the decision but it was very close because he was just down to scrap yeah you well and, and because too because he would he was sliding back on his back foot the whole time and then winging huge overhands he was yeah he was taking every opportunity that that means gave him with means gambit. You know, it's yeah. means is out there. He's throwing volume. His head is online. He is there for you to hit. Yeah. You just have to know you're going to get hit when you hit him. Right. And so, yeah, a question here is like, first, first of all, it is, does Max Griffin have that kind of confidence and discipline? Can he, because I, I think that approach makes evident sense. It's what we just yeah. saw Max Griffin do. It's it's kind of his it's kind of his one like smart game plan. Yeah, <laughs> he, he copied other people's homework to figure out how to beat Mike Perry. Yeah, and then that's sort of been the blueprint for Max Griffin when he he realizes he has to be technical or crafty. Yeah, in a fight. Um, you know, sliding around, being way too far away, making somebody chase him, and then using the fact that he's very quick and powerful to lunge in and land a shot that allows him to reset. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like that's definitely going to work up to a point. It will also play into means hands because means wants to pressure. He wants you to commit to the pocket and he wants to stay there when you do so he can punish you right back. And you know, like Max Griffin awoke a beast in Neil Magny that he was yeah. not really up to surviving. Yeah, he, I mean, you know, granted, the you know, it, it's not like he fell out of the fight completely. No, but there was a definite feeling of, oh, this is all going perfectly, and in the moment, it's not going perfectly, and the opponent is like, oh, I have to fight back or die. You know, it it becomes a fight that Max Griffin is no longer clearly winning. Yeah, um, and the problem with Max Griffin is that unless he's fighting like Mike Perry, he just doesn't have a lot of technical depth anywhere. No, he really doesn't. So, like, if the exchange gets extended, as they tend to against uh, against Tim Means, he's he's out at sea. He he just mm -hmm. he he has maybe two reasonably technical punches, um, and they only look reasonably technical because like his he throws them quickly and his feet are under him as long as the punches are going out. Once they've been thrown, it's like, oh, you're not in a position to cleanly follow up with anything else. Uh, yeah. You have flung yourself into these strikes, and that is not technical striking. It's not how Tim Means strikes. No. Um, yeah, I mean, I again, this is one where I'm I'm really not sure. I already just for fun took a flyer on Tim Means, and I'm going to stick with that pick. Mm -hmm. For me, the re the really big concern because I do think there's there's good reason to to suspect that in a fight that sort of follows the broad shape of the Neil Magny fight. Um, that as long as Tim Means doesn't get KO'd, he can perhaps turn that around more viciously than Neil Magny did. True, but he also can't physically... I, I'm not sure if he can physically control uh, 
clinch and wrestling exchanges the way Neil Magny is going to have to be in the pocket. And, and the big concern yeah. is, or, and, and chasing Griffin out of the pocket. That's something yeah. he's pretty good at too. Yeah. Um, you know, he, you think of him as a boxer, but he will surprise people when they, they think they're pivoting and they're out of range and then boom, head kick, something like yeah. that. Um, I, but to me, the really big concern is Griffin's wrestling. Mm-hmm. I think if Max Griffin comes in here prepared to just have the ugliest, most boring fight of all time, that again, that's the other way people beat Tim Means. Yeah. That's the safe way to beat Tim Means is to just completely suck all the air out of the room and just frustrate him and bore him and just hold on to him the entire time. Um, and, and in that instance, you know, maybe you get guillotined, more likely you just beat Tim. So. I'm still going to pick means I'm, I think that's an Avenue for Griffin. I still have questions about how well Griffin's like game planning holds up under actual serious duress. The kind that a guy like Mike Perry can't really test. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm banking on Griffin making a couple wrong tactical decisions and means kind of, you know, just wheedling his way into the fight that way, but it's going to be tough for Tim means, even if he's winning. Is the thing because Griffin is half his age and yeah. his hard and is fast. Yeah. So it is. No, although actually, the funny thing is, Griffin's only two years younger. Well, you know, in fight years, he's a baby. Yeah. Even, although, even, even though Griffin himself has had a lot of tough fights. Yeah. And he's had a long career too. Like he's 13 years into his career. Yeah. But Tim Means has literally been. Yeah. But Tim Means. Forever. And he's had like 18 six, years into his career. He's had like 55 fights. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. Like, I'm going to lean on the Griffin side of things, but great matchup. Yeah. Yeah, I like the matchmaking here. Really good. You Like, you've got, you know, this is, I, I it's a, at least for me a term that I, I, I like to use as sort of an affectionate one of like a mid-card action fighter. Mm-hmm. And Means and Griffin are the the absolute definition of that. And there are yeah, dudes yeah. that you put them in the middle of any fight card and you're going to get a fun fight and they might not win them all, but it'll always be fun. Yeah. Having said uh, that again, I do think a way for Max Griffin to win yeah. here is to have a terrible fight. <laughs> True. Fair enough. <laughs> Cause having a fun fight, you might beat means, but means likes having fun fights. Yeah. he does. That's his style. Griffin opened at minus 150, dropped to minus 175, currently minus 181. Means opened at uh, plus 130, jumped up to plus 150, and is currently plus 149. All right, that brings us to a heavyweight bout. Jared Vandera, Waldo Cortez Acosta. Huh? Oh, this is me? Yeah, this uh... is you. <laughs> what's happening here <laughs> why is this fight on the card yeah I don't know because I mean, they I need guess... a fight for Waldo Cortez Acosta they need they need introductions for their new heavyweight division yeah. and Jared Vandera has he has Sam Alvey himself by being willing to pick up the phone every single time the UFC calls this is his yeah. fourth fight this year clearly he knows the route to saving his job is that every time they're like, uh, okay, we can either offer you nothing and get lost or fight next week, he's he's fighting next week. Yeah. Unfortunately, he just lacks the secret ingredient of Sam Alvey's success, which is uh, 
just earth shattering charisma. Oh yeah, exactly. fans just love him. Fan favorite as a as I believe ESPN <laughs> report or Fox Sports or somebody reported just before he got cut. Um, yeah, I mean Van, that Vandera is fulfilling the Sam Alvey role. What's the Sam yep. Alvey role? It's to lose to the fighter the bosses care about. Yeah, uh, that's probably going to happen here. I uh, Cortez Acosta is very raw, mm-hmm. but you know he's a heavyweight prospect, so that's more than expected. He's by 31 years old. He's practically an infant. Um, yeah, I mean, he just goes in there and he can put together some cool punching combinations. His form, like most fighters of this type, just tends to fall apart past punch number two. But, you know, he looks strong and powerful and confident. And Jared Vandera is uh, maybe strong, but he's not the other things. Yeah. So you got to pick Cortez Acosta just kind of at a glance. Yeah, I think he... Cortez Acosta at one point was like a baseball prospect. Okay. Um, and he actually seems like a pretty good athlete. Is he Dominican or something? I believe so, yeah. He is. There you go. And uh, he seems like a pretty good athlete. And he can, I mean, a big thing, you talk about his form kind of deteriorates after punch number two. But the, the thing is, he actually throws like three or four punches sometimes. Mm-hmm. And Vandera is very much he, his form has improved, and his uh, you know he, his speed and his like his selection shot selection has improved, but it's all single punches. It's all here's one jab, here's one body shot, here's one hook to the head, here's one uppercut, just one at a time, and he's way slower than Cortez Acosta. Yeah, you could you could way have much slower. much worse things to say about a heavyweight prospect than that they reliably throw in combination. Yeah. I mean that's a very good trait for a for a hard hitting heavyweight prospect to have. And yeah. Cortez Acosta has it. Yep. He throws in combination. He's got way he's got a big edge in hand speed. That's probably gonna be too much for Vandera. Yep. <clears throat> Uh, odds on the bout, Cortez Acosta is the favorite. Opened at plus one thirty, dropped to minus one ninety five. Currently at minus two twelve. Vandera opened at minus one fifty, op- jumped up to plus one seventy, and is currently at plus one seventy one. That brings us to a middleweight bout: Josh Fremd, Treshawn Gore. Welcome back to the Fremd Zone. I <laughs> uh, yeah. Once again, I mean, I, I feel, we talked about this with uh, AJ Dobson a couple weeks ago, and the, Dobson is a guy who just shouldn't be here yet. Right. Clearly talented, but clearly talented. This but, isn't the place to figure out how your game works. Yeah, and Treshawn Gore is that times like five. Yeah, with the slight boon uh, that he happens to be fighting at middleweight. Well, so so it's Dobson. Oh yeah, never They're mind. Both middleweights. Never mind. Yeah, uh, Treshawn Gore is really not ready. Yeah, really not ready. That's that's he, been made abundantly clear. He's got the speed. He's got the power. <clears throat> 
He does not have any of the pace. And the biggest the biggest challenge for him more than anything else is that because he has the speed and the power, he expects everybody he fights to know that about him and care. Yeah. So he walks in to the pocket with his hands down, winding up on big single strikes. Yeah. Thinking, oh, this person is going to, they are going to be cowing to my, to my presence. And Cody Brundage just went out and wrecked him standing. Yeah. Just because at this level, guys aren't scared. They're, they're tough. Mm-hmm. They are durable enough to know that if all you're going to do is throw one big shot at them, they can take it. And Fremd is, you know, we talk about uh, Waldo Cortez Costa, like a fighter who loses track of himself after the first couple strikes. Mm-hmm. That's very much fremd as well. Yeah. But he is active and aggressive with his pat with his striking. And yep. he tries to throw volume. He throws hard. He go he pressures a lot. He goes after people. And we've seen how tough he is and we've seen how willing to scrap through hard situations he is. And yeah, I just can't. I can't pick Treshawn Gorgon, somebody who's tough and not going to fold instantly. Yeah, even if it had no like uh, stylistic relevance to 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 this matchup, just the pace and the difficulty he was able to put himself through against Anthony Hernandez. Yeah, that's more than enough reason for me to pick him over Treshawn Gore, because Gore is he is just eminently testable. He's like. There's so much he doesn't know that he doesn't know what he doesn't know. Yeah. He's a, he's, he is really, really a novice, an, a genuine novice. Yeah. Um, who happens to have, yeah, the athleticism to, to like the, the power and the frame and the speed to maybe pretend to be a better fighter than he is, but it's super easy to take him out of his depth because yeah. he has very little depth at all. Yeah, I feel for it because, like, you know, he went through tough, and tough is not really a great proving ground. Right. And he didn't, you know, he, he kind of he got walked into the UFC, and it's just like, this is, you know, this is not the place you should be right now in your career. You're, you are a guy who is known exclusively for his power, who has never knocked anyone out, ever. Right. Like, because you don't throw any combinations at all and yeah. are comfortable in the pocket. And, yeah, I mean, I, I think, honestly, you can feel bad, but also, like, provided his confidence can recover, the, like, Treshawn Gore should be grateful to get cut right away uh, yeah. after losing this fight because he desperately, desperately needs seasoning. Yeah. And, like, he's 28. Like, he's only got a little time before he hits the, like, peak of his prime to gather as much of that experience as he can. And the UFC isn't the place to do that. So yeah. it'll hopefully be a good thing for him, but yeah. I do fully expect him to lose in again, like any number of ways. Like I, this is one of those yeah. where I don't think you even have to really project how the fight's going to play out. It's just that Fremd has the look of a guy who's taken his lumps and is down to yeah. scrap. And Treshawn Gore is not that guy. Yep. Uh, odds on the bout, Gore is the underdog, opened at plus 185, 
currently down at plus 141. Fremd opened at minus 220, jumped up to minus 175, currently minus 171. So those odds are closing a bit. Um, I mean, I get Fremd is, you know, he is a scrappy brawler who uh, may not have the athleticism to make that work long term in the UFC. Mm-hmm. So I get the 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 reservations, but lot you know when you when you go look at it and his only two losses or two of his three losses, he has one early decision, but it, his only two recent losses are to Gregory uh, Rodriguez and Anthony Hernandez these days. And he's a six foot four middleweight. Like, yeah, there's not a lot of reasons to fade him here. Yeah. Um, hey, what and, did uh, what did Josh's mom say to his dad when she realized they had conceived? What? You got a friend in me. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> oh lord, that is. <laughs> <laughs> You are so pleased with yourself. <laughs> That's the greatest moment of my career. Uh, you got a friend in me. <laughs> Woo! All right. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Uh, got to recover from that now. <laughs> that brings us to a light heavyweight fight. Dustin Jacoby, Khalil Roundtree Jr. And... um. This is, you know what? Mm-hmm. This is the. I'm glad they made this fight. This is a good fight. This is a good Jaco- matchup. Jacoby probably deserves somebody higher profile right now. You know, he's coming in with four straight uh, UFC wins. And yeah. uh, I mean, he's got six straight, he's unbeaten in one. Seven straight fights in the UFC now. Mm-hmm. Uh, nine overall unbeaten. Seems like he should be fighting his way up the rankings more. Mm-hmm. Um, and Roundtree is a guy who has just managed to tread water his entire UFC career. Yeah, while getting significantly better in these last few years. Yeah, while getting, but that's the thing, is that he has gotten significantly better. And so that makes this a good fight right now. Like he might not be ranked, but we've just seen Khalil Roundtree come off of back-to-back knockouts uh, that made him look pretty vicious. Yeah. And uh, Jacoby presents a real good step-up challenge again for Roundtree in that, like, Unlike Bukowskis and Roberson, this is a technical striker who will throw in volume and who will present a continuous technical challenge to Roberson's power game. Yeah, here's a guy who's not completely unaware of how to deal with kicks, who carries his own kicks, who has a jab. Here's a guy who can test you at all ranges. Sure. That's that is the test Roberson needs right now, and for Jacoby, it's just another chance to prove what he's been showing lately, and what especially showed up in the Daun Jung fight that I hadn't seen from uh, Jacoby before, and that I think is really good to start seeing now, mm-hmm. which is confidence. Yeah, 
put, put he, them strikes together in round one in the pocket. And doing it against a fighter who already was confident and coming after him. Yeah. And pressuring him and looking to land big shots on Jacoby right out of the gate. Yeah. And Jacoby looked like he was not at all interested in taking a backward step. And because he wasn't, he was right there to meet Jung in the pocket as Jung was throwing Mm-hmm. and land a huge counter shot to knock him yeah, out. Yeah, after seeing how, like, desperately his corner had to beg him to just, you know, go out there and 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 agree to have a few exchanges and mix it up and counter Iwan Kudalaba and to, like, stand his ground more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Just to not give, give away space freely. Um, and, you know, he sort of got there. He got there enough by the end to make it, I think, a very justifiable draw. Yeah. Well, it, it took some serious doing for him to just build up the confidence in himself. So I agree that Don Jung fight, a very good sign because Jacoby yeah. he looked like he was in there to fight. And yeah. he's a very technical striker, especially by the standards of light heavyweight mm-hmm. and a big enough guy that, you know, he, he should be able to show off enough punching power to knock people out here. And lo and behold, he stood his yeah. ground and he just slept a surging prospect. And I think that that is probably uh, a really good reason to pick him in this fight. Yeah. Um, it, especially because the thing that has really come across with Khalil Roundtree over his career, you, you, we talk about he's gotten better and he has. Yeah. But Khalil Roundtree feels like a fighter who is always trying who always thinks that he's on the cusp of discovering the secret recipe to MMA. And he's always trying and experimenting to find out what the right, you know, what the right blend of spices are that are going to make him an unbeatable fighter. It's not the kind of thing where it's like, oh yeah, no, there's a clear progression of skill that Khalil Roundtree is showing. It's much more like, Oh, Khalil Roundtree has come out with a totally different game this fight. And, oh, that looks pretty good, and that's interesting. And, you know, oh, he's showing confidence in this or that or what have you. And then, you know, but, like, that's still, like, right there with a fight against Marcin Prachnio. Yeah. Where Prachnio just was able to totally outmaneuver him. Yeah, or Kudalaba just runs out and takes him down and destroys him instantly. Yeah. Like, they're still... It's like, like, he, he He's putting on a new suit every time. Yeah. And he doesn't know where the gaps in it are. Right. He's just thinking, okay, well, this time I'm going to do this thing. And like, against Roberson, he comes out with this, like, really low, wide stance, ready to just, like, wing power hooks at Roberson with, total, like, totally planted... Mm-hmm. And it worked. It wasn't bad, but it was totally different than the Bukowskis fight where he comes out with these huge, hard, like side kicks. Mm-hmm. And you just never really know what you're going to, what Roberson's going to try. Yeah. Much more bouncy and upright against Bukowskis. Yeah. Very planted. I mean, granted, maybe not an insane idea to come out with a style that seems um, poised to meet a wrestling threat. Cause yeah. Cause Carl Roberson. Roberson is a kickboxer in name only. Yeah. The dude loves to take people down and grapple. But I don't know that he's necessarily trying these things out because they're the right thing to meet an opponent. Yeah. As much as I think that he's just trying them out because, like, they're the idea he's got this time around. Yeah. And 
even if he comes out with the right idea to what would be the right thing to beat Jacoby, I feel like Jacoby, like, you know, Jacoby knows how he's going to show up. Yeah. And he's going to show up with a good set volume striking style that's pretty technical and consistent and is generally made to keep him out of harm's way as he does it. Mm-hmm. And if there's any discomfort for Roberson or for uh, Roundtree and what he's trying to do this time around, if he's trying something new or if he's trying to build something new into his game just for this, I think Jacoby can take it away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I suspect. I mean, I am. I there's, I think, cause for concern. I kind of, you know, uh, I, I'm sympathetic to your your original sort of feeling, which is like maybe Jacoby deserves better than this because it's still it's, it's a fight still that, a huge power like it's a light heavyweight everybody hits exactly. really hard and is really fast and really dynamic and it doesn't move him forward at all based no. on all of his success and yet it is still clearly a dangerous fight where yep. um jacoby has in the past sort of uh, believed his opponent yeah believed in their confidence or their facade of confidence yeah. Uh, granted, against Iwan Kudalaba, it is not a facade. No. That is the most foolhardy, confident man on the planet. <laughs> Khalil Roundtree, it is a facade uh, to some extent. And if he makes the wrong call, and because the thing with Roundtree and all of his really impressive recent performances, of which there have been quite a few, they are fights where the opponent sort of lets him do what he wants to do. Yeah, he gets a lot of time and space. Exactly. He, he gets the to work on what his game he's come in with. And, yeah. He doesn't have to think about his defense at all beyond just staying at the right range until he's ready to engage. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't have to worry about pace at all because they're giving him all the time and space in the world. They're basically allowing him to pressure and just sort of keep them corralled uh, until he senses an opening. And um, yeah, I think it really does require for this to be, it's still winnable because Khalil sure. Rountree is a very shallow fighter and, you can find ways in numerous avenues to, to get into, into a competitive fight with him. Um, but by far the safest approach would be for Jacoby to treat him like he did Don Jung and be like, okay, yeah, you want to walk me down? Like what? Let's throw a three punch counter combination. And, and if you walk back, maybe I'll chop your leg out from under you or whatever, like test him. Yeah. Uh, meet him and, uh, and, and demand that he, you know, he, he prove, prove that he has, any reason to think he should be allowed to pressure you. Yeah. Pushing pushing Khalil Roundtree has generally been yes. the way to beat him. Yes. Um so yeah, I I I, th- I have faith in Jacoby as well, but it is it is a dicey matchup and he has yeah. to make a, a couple of um confident, decisive calls early, I think, for it to be as winnable a matchup as it as it should be. Yeah. Agreed. Odds on the bout. Jacoby is the favorite, opened at minus 185, dropped to minus 210, but is gen- generally picked back up to minus 172. Khalil Roundtree opened at plus 116, is currently down at plus 140. So those odds are getting narrower. Uh, I still just, you know, I think it's a good matchup for Jacoby. It's just every light heavyweight fight, you have a, you know, there's a significant chance that somebody's going to get sparked. All right, on that note, 
we're going to wrap up, uh, wrap things up. You can find me on Twitter at these and Simon. You can find Kyle on Twitter at Box and Bush. You can find both of us over at bloodyobo.com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcasts on the Bloody Over Presents SoundCloud, or Bloody Over Presents Podcast Network on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all those places. And as always, the MMA Viva section is brought to you by the Fine Art of Violence by Chris Rini, which you can find over at chrisrini.com, C-H-R-I-S-R-I-N-I.com. Thanks everyone for tuning in and see you soon. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Bivis Section, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, the Hey Not The Face Podcast, and Radio Style Play-By-Play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloody elbow blog and as always on bloodyelbow.com. <laughs>